as Strava says, drink deeply, live fully, and man, the New Jersey Devils are boring. Strava is a rich CBD-infused coffee that you can now purchase in K-cups, or they have whole bean and ground versions as well. So whatever it is, you are covered. You can purchase online and get 20% off when you use code DNVR20. And they're an awesome company, so please let us know. Tweet about them. Let tweet at dnvr at strava that you're using their product because it's dope it's non-psychoactive and it's been known to help reduce long-term migraines decrease anxiety and help with many other aches and pains as well just remember to use code dnvr20 to get that 20 percent off and cole gets another good righty and another right by cole a left by cole this time tipped in front by mika rentinen Shoots and scars! Nathan McKinnon! Call J.T. Comfer! 877 goes now! Gabriel Landeskog! Collective hugs! 29 and 92! See me by Grubauer! Move over, Picasso! This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious! <laughs> Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche Podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You can visit either of their two locations for pickup of your alcohol now, and they will also deliver. So they have you covered in that regard, and they have a gigantic selection of over a thousand different types of beer, as well as wine and spirits from around the world. You can go on their app and sign up for their loyalty program to get great deals as well. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. The Avs just lost to the New Jersey Devils 2-1 in Game 2 of the 0-1 Stanley Cup Finals, evening the series at 1. Unfortunate, but AJ, I have a very serious question for you. Okie dokie. Did Sam Gerrard steal Ray Bork's move? Yes. <laughs> so there you have it. The inventor of the Tornado may have been Ray Bork all along as he pulled it off at the blue line in this game. Unfortunately, didn't lead to anything, but it is what it is. So, other than that, I mean, the first period of this game was fun. Uh, it was... Honestly, it was kind of frustrating. <laughs> um, they had three power plays in the first period where they could have just put their foot down on yep. the series as a whole and die and just run away with it. Yep. Could have been up three, nothing cruise to a win here and go up two nothing in the series. And they say you're not in trouble in a series until you lose at home. Well, that's what the abs just did straight up. And you know, it it's frustrating because it was really just five minutes. Yep. It, it felt like watching the current version of the abs where we've seen them lose games just because, I mean, you're talking the, the tiniest portions of a game just don't go very well for you. And a two, one lead is all that, all that devil's team needed. I mean, they didn't need to play offense after that. They were so good at what they did of just smothering you in the neutral zone forcing you to give up the puck coming into the offensive zone and 
just physically just dominating you because of the way that interference rules were back then. Yeah, they and that played right into their style as well. Not just the way the rules were, it was the way they had are they had just won a cup last year playing exactly that style of hockey and they'd go on to win a couple more. So they, they were the best at it at that time as well. Yep. It was their bread and butter, man. I mean, it was what they did well and I don't want to make it sound like I'm minimizing that like, oh, they didn't belong there or anything. <laughs> they were they were the absolute best at what they did and you know, like like Wolverine, what they did wasn't always very pretty. It's true, unfortunately. Um, you talked about this on Twitter during the game. Avs power play ultimately ended up one for six with the only goal coming from Joe Sackick and an extremely greasy one. Their power play, also about 22% at the time, as was said on the cast, which is better than today's abs, but uh, I don't know. Sometimes the more things change, the more they stay the same, maybe. Uh, Yeah, well, and like it, it would be interesting to go back and look at where that 22% was league-wide and what the numbers were because, you know, top of the league right now, you're talking about, you know, Boston Edmonton are in like the 30% range. And the abs were... You know, when the season stopped, the abs were at what, like nineteen percent? Yeah, just shy of twenty, I think. So I they had two power play goals in the game against the Rangers, so I'm assuming it, it went up. Um, but but yeah, it was in in context, it would be interesting to see where those where those numbers rank and um, just watching how their power play kind of went like one for one for six is obviously bad, but they just weren't generating any shots on goal. They weren't gen. I mean, they had 20 shots on goal in the game with six power plays. And that's, yep. that's not very good at all. I don't care what era. I don't care, who, <laughs> I don't care who you're going up against. You have a man advantage and you have six power plays. You should be generating at least 12 shots on goal. Just on power plays. <laughs> okay. Uh, here you go. The Avs at 22% were the third best power play in the league back then. Okay. And the first best power play was New Jersey at 22.9. And the Avs were at 22 point what? Oh, four. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> weren't quite scoring at the same rates back then. <laughs> yeah, right. So the... Ugh. You want to talk about it and and their top unit with uh with Sakic and Tangay, Hayduk, Bork and Blake. Um I mean that's a, that's obviously a great unit, but their their willingness to use the second unit you know with guys like Reinprecht and and they had Adam Foot and John Clem both on the on the points of their second power play unit and it's like whoa what is going on here? Just the conventional wisdom of the time. It's so easy to look back now and question it because you look at, you lose a two, one game, you go one for six on the power play. You're talking special teams is the number one thing that changed that game, especially because uh, they both of New Jersey's goals were even strength goals, but the first one was basically a shorthanded goal. And the second one was basically a power play goal. Right. So, it's that it was special teams that cost them game two of the Stanley cup final series uh, because they just, they got, they got beat and they didn't capitalize on opportunities. And 
you know, this is a good reminder. Even one of the best abs teams in history, you know, a team that wins a cup in the end. It, the special teams is hard. It's hard to score. It's hard to be good at it. It's hard to be good at it consistently. It's and it's such an important aspect of the game. It it really is, and I mean, even back then, when you're looking at what is the dead puck era, it's so important to get to three goals. As now, it's it's still very important. But then, if you got to three goals, the game was over. You have won. Yeah. So, neither team managed to do it in this game, obviously. But the Devils' style, much more comfortable with any lead. The Avs, back then, yes, Wah was great and able to steal games. Yes, they had great defensemen. But they were a team that got to three and won that way. Yeah, well, and so, I mean, so was New Jersey. You know, New Jersey, as has been pointed out to me a handful of times, now New Jersey was the highest scoring team in the league that year. Yep, it's and, true. And, like, that's more than anything all you need to know about the NHL that year. Indeed. They're, and, uh... you know, uh, just just an interesting, I just think it was an interesting contrast, games one and two getting to see the way that they, yeah. they they succeeded and failed and how New Jersey was able to really dig their, sink their teeth into game two. And they, you know, they, they capitalized on the opportunities. You know, they had the one breakaway, Corkum scores five hole on Wall. Wall was real upset about it. And then they kill off an extended two-man advantage and just after it ends, they get the goal. Like that's, it's such a gut punch. And that was it. That that was that was all that that carried Jersey to that win, and the Avs just could not get anything quality on Broder after that. He basically had to do no meaningful work. Yeah, when the Avs, you can count the number of real opportunities they got in deep in the zone on one hand for the rest of that game, with the Devils yeah. standing up on the blue line. So, just kind of the way the Devils played hockey back then, but. I can tell you for sure that makes me want to drink, and I'm sitting here sipping on a Hot Peak IPA from Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNBR. I recommend you throw one back as well, because what else are you going to do after you watch the Avs lose a tough one like that? Either way, Breckenridge Brewery has you covered. You can pick up their alcohol from their farmhouse location down in Littleton, or you can use apps like Drizzly to deliver their alcohol as well. So if you're jonesing for some Breck Brew, you are covered. Even in quarantine, you can get it from those two options. All of your favorites are available, whether it be the Avalanche Amber, the Colorado Core, this Hot Peak, the Strawberry Sky, the Vanilla Porter Jr., you name it, you can get it. If you're picking up from the farmhouse, call at 303-803-1380, or just go to Drizzly online and use their app to get it delivered. Second, yeah, cheers to you as well, Steph. Second period of the DNVR Abs podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits with Ruto and AJ. AJ, I think more, much more so than last game. The old school hockey kind of came out here. You had no less than three players bleeding from the face in this game with not really any major penalties called. And then on top of that, you had things like Scott Stevens giving everyone and their mother a face wash. So got a bit better feel for that type of hockey. 
Yeah, this definitely brought back the. Uh, I mean, how many high sticks did we see in guys bleeding? Right, because they got they got whacked in the face with the dude just whipping his stick around like a maniac. Yep, uh, it was it was like helicopter blades out there. It was crazy, dude. Um, I'm I'm just not. There there are parts of that that I miss. But there were definitely like watching some of this. It was just like, ugh. like the the icing. It was exciting to watch yeah. the races for icing again, but it was not exciting watching those guys go full speed into the boards. Watching Adam Foot get can opened and just trucked into the end boards, body flat across the ice. Yeah, it and it was just like unnecessary. Like Patrick Elias didn't. It was totally unnecessary. He wasn't gonna win, and got away with hooking uh, foot on that uh, on the way into the boards too. Yep, we uh, that would have been a hooking call today. And and then everything that happened after that is like, oh my god, we don't see anything like that anymore. Uh, and just the the physicality of the game, like Ken Danico's a psycho. Yeah, he's got the real crazy eyes going on there too. <laughs> like just everything. Like he gets he gets even a little bit upset and he just loses his mind. And a little bit little bit scary. <laughs> I mean to, to see that. I think I noticed that and I don't know how much of this is the time frame and more just the broadcast showing it, but there was so much chirping going on the whole time, you know? You had Stevens skating past Adam Foote on the bench, John, with him. After every play, it was Stevens, it was Niedermeyer, it was Reinprecht, Tyno, everyone getting into it, talking to each other. And could see more than a few swear words mouthed as well. And so, definitely a bit different than the product we see on NBCSN today. Yeah, it was a fair amount of adult language, and the commentary really kind of normalized uh, the type of play that we were watching. Yeah. You know, they go in and, and it, you know, Bill Clement's like, hey, that was good. And that's a clean hit by Eliash on, on foot. Well, the one and, that blew me away was uh, Thorne goes, tried for a little bit of a slew foot there, just enough to knock him off the puck. And it's like, in today's NHL, if you say slew foot, it's in an irate fashion of how dare he do that. Yeah, absolutely. There's no like little bit of anything. Yeah. <laughs> like a little bit of a slew foot is what Firk did to McKinnon in LA. Right. Like that's as little bit of a slew foot as you'll get today. But that was, I mean, that was, that was full on. So it was, uh, it, it was, it's, it continues to be interesting to see that contrast to, to go back and relive this. And I was a little excited to watch this game because there was a lot more like, hockey things going on yeah because it wasn't a blowout um so it i i've enjoyed kind of the the time portal but this was definitely a good reminder of we've made a lot of we've made a lot of positive steps forward in today's game especially with regards to uh how players heads are treated yeah i mean just brutal Obviously, during the game, the chat was talking about it as well. Scott Stevens played for the Devils, and every hockey fan of that time knows about the whole Paul Correa incident and everything going on there and just the absurdity of how he was even allowed to come back into that game. So it was just a different time. Messier had a gigantic cut all the way through his eyebrow in this game, and just, it's fine. No big deal. Yeah, and Ken Danico got clipped with uh, 
with Reinprecht stick and, yep. and went berserk. Lost and, his mind. Yeah, it was it was some intense stuff, man. It was. I continue to be surprised at the vitriol uh, between these two teams just two games in. Like this is this is the beginning of a long series. Yeah, and and it seems like both teams are just super determined to show which one of them is going to be able to puff out their chest harder. And these were not two teams that ever played each other very often, obviously, with New Jersey being on the East Coast. So even with the the funky uh, divisions they had back then, New Jersey was never really one of those teams like a Vancouver was. So it was a little bit different that way, where right off the bat, there was some, some anger on the ice for sure. And I... I do wonder a little bit, because you look at the ice, and that's you didn't know it fully at the time, just how many Hall of Famers were playing in these games. Yeah. But uh, it truly is two unbelievably stacked teams. There's a reason that these were the teams to beat in the West and in the East. Yeah, and and I mean, even if you go beyond uh, the Hall of Fame guys, and you look at just the Hall of Very Good. Yeah. You know, I mean, Hayduke and Tangay and Eliosh and Arnott and McGilney and Gomez, Drury. Like, these were these are guys that everybody's heard of. These are all guys that got big money contracts in their careers. Yep. That were that were at some point in their careers considered premier players in the league, even if they did not have Hall of Fame caliber careers. I mean, just a just a, a an embarrassment of talent at the very top of this series, and. I think for our third segment probably sets up nicely for uh, oh, yeah. us to, to, yep. to get into the, how just how top heavy these rosters were. Yeah, I, I think we absolutely should. I'm not quite there yet. Um, one other thing that I did want to touch on here was kind of the feeling around watching this game with everyone that we did watch it live with. We just went over how talented these teams were. Even the best team maybe ever in avalanche history can be awfully frustrating on the ice sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Watching, uh, uh, there was a play where Rob Blake, uh, fired an outlet pass from behind the net. Yep. That was just an absolute, it was a brutal turnover. And like, that's Rob Blake. Yep. Some of the best players oh. ever still make those basic mistakes all the time in hockey. It's just the way it works. I just, I just wonder. We didn't have social media back then, so, and and it's like we know how the series ends, so it's you know all sins are ultimately forgiven, right? But like, but you I, can hear I, the press press box groaning from two thousand one on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, and like I could hear, I could hear Twitter losing its mind. Yeah, right? like social <laughs> media going bananas, especially with. Uh, the Avs going one for six uh, on the power play. And I tweeted out when they were one for, they had a, they were one for six and they only had 16 shots on goal at the time. And I could just hear all the people calling for all of these coaches to be fired. Yep. Unacceptable. They've got to, they got to let them go that these guys don't know what they're doing and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just it's funny because like hey that was it was a top power play unit and it's 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 not only been interesting to see how different the game is but how different we consume them and how like we're live tweeting a game that happened 20 years ago that didn't have a chance to be live tweeted 
Yeah. Because it just didn't exist. You know, they put up a picture of the internet back then and it was like, <laughs> what is this? What is happening here? Some GeoCity site. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, that might have been the most shocking part of the entire thing. <laughs> so, definitely a, a different time in, in that regard, to say the least. It's just such a, such a weird thing to me. I I tweeted about it a little bit. Uh, watching hockey back then in 4 by 3 I'm almost grateful for because you had no choice but to figure out how to watch the game without knowing where the puck was. Yeah, you, there was no concept of where a puck was. <laughs> you just had to kind of guess where it was based on the play happening around it. Straight up, man. You just That was just it. If you ever want to learn how to watch hockey, go watch some some old hockey that's super grainy and you can't see the puck, I guess. <laughs> um, all right. We can go ahead, wrap up this second period of the podcast here. And you know what time it is. It's such a nice thing in hockey. Makes this transition so easy for me. Because there are no balls in hockey. The only balls I have to worry about are my own, especially when I'm watching hockey from 19 years ago, because I would be very terrified of Scott Stevens spearing me right in the cojones. It would be uh, it would be brutal, but if that's going to happen, at least make it look good for the doctor when he's got to go in there and make repairs. That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and they just released it. The new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, and you can get 20% off that as well as an entire package of products, as well as free shipping when you use code DNVR20. The third generation of the trimmer is cutting edge and has ceramic blades to prevent any accidents on your uh, family jewels, we'll put it that way, so... Everybody is safe in that regard, and you're all good to go. They can provide you as well with things like ball deodorant and some non-chafing applicators. So anything you need, you're covered. Going for a long walk, they got you. Just make sure you keep your junk looking good and use that DNVR20 code to get 20% off. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's with Rudo and AJ. So, these teams were the best around at the time, and obviously you can start in goal. Martin Broder versus Patrick Waugh. Waugh, I think everyone around here would agree, is the GOAT, but Marty, certainly no slouch in the top five, probably. Uh, Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, I think in goal, I mean, you're talking about two of the top five goaltenders of all time, I think. I mean, if you don't have Brodeur in your top five, like I'm, I think Brodeur is a touch overrated, but that's because I don't think he's the greatest of all time, and Devils fans do. <laughs> yep. So that's basically uh, I, the argument. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Like I'm, you know, I'm. Uh, I I think that Wa is without he should be in your top three easily. So. Uh, Starting in net, yes, two of the top five. I mean, ever. it's Juan Hasek, right? And then kind of everybody else? Uh, Yeah, I think you could Juan Hasek and, you know, if you wanted to put some of the older guys in there. 
Yeah, it, like a Dryden or a sawchuck. Like I, I'm it gets for so it. hard. Right? Yeah, I can't say otherwise. Fair enough. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yes. Good, good, good start to the team comparisons. So next, you move to the defense. Obviously, Blake Bork Foot one two three, mm-hmm. easy. Two of those Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. On the other side. You get a bit of a different style, certainly the the offensive ability of, of Blake and Bork, maybe not quite the same when you're talking about guys like Niedermeyer or Scott Stevens, but still Hall of Fame type caliber players. Yeah, and I mean Brian Rafalski is a third banana. Yep, a very good player had a had a great career. So stacked again on both sides of the puck. And then you move into the forwards. Obviously, the Avs without Forsberg in this series, but they still get to throw Joe Sackick out there with regularity. And, I mean, he has three goals in two games in this series. He leads the entire playoffs at this point with 12 goals throughout. I don't... What can you say about Joe Sackick that... Other than he's a legend. I don't know. Well, and, and this was his this was his career year, too. He had This yep. was the year... He had the 118 points uh, and was just a an absolute animal. I mean, he had 54 goals during the regular season. Guy was guy was incredible. Yep, just a straight up beast. And I mean, funnily enough, in this game, the uh, the Devils' star offensive players didn't really show up as they got two players their first goal in their playoffs this season. So between Corkum and uh, Stuart Stevenson, thank you. Uh, not the guys you want scoring goals on you, probably, but that's not to say it they didn't have to threats. Lose to those guys. Yeah. It absolutely sucks to lose to those guys. So, it certainly would have felt a lot better if it was someone like Elias scoring on Anwa Fivehole, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, when McGillney worked Martin Skula and wandered in on Anwa, you know, and had he beaten him then, like, you would have understood. Yep. It would have been like, okay, but Bob Corkum going five-hole on you? Feels kind of bad. And it, I honestly, the thing that impresses me most about this Devils run in the early 2000s is not their top-end talent, not that they didn't have it, but how consistent they were top to bottom. You talked about the Avs have guys with 24 points on their second power play unit here. And the Devils regularly had 8, 9, 10, 50-point guys on their team. Yeah. So, definitely built in a bit different ways where the Avs were ridiculously stacked on the top end, especially when healthy Forsberg, Haydukes, and Tangays we've talked about. Yeah, they so just looking at it, um, the split on the team is crazy, man. Because yeah. full season they had six players on their roster that had more than thirty-two points, and there was a big gap because they it was fifty-nine was Bork at at and he was sixth, and then just a drop off, and then a huge drop off to Sean Podine at thirty-two, and then like. Like Adam Deadmarsh had 26, but he only played 39 games, right? Like there's some injuries and some trades and things, uh, in which you know, they're always going to skew some of these numbers, sure. right? Yeah. But there's there's just a big drop there, and then you get down into guys who had, you know, 20 points, 15 points, 
you know, Dan Heinold had 15 points in 76 games and was on their second line in the Stanley Cup finals. Next to, you know, when Billy Neiman was, yep. was out there a whole bunch too, he had 22 points in 50 games. Like we're talking, they were very top heavy um, and, and missing Forsberg. I think we, we kind of, Forsberg, Forsberg was incredible, right? And but they needed him more than I think we've we've really given, than we've really allowed. How much they absolutely needed Forsberg because they've got they got a fourth line running out there with Chris Dingman, who had two points in forty one games, and Dave Reed, who had ten points in seventy three games. And and let's be honest, back then players like that were on the team for very different reasons than their scoring. Yeah, but nonetheless, they Chris were Dingman still had 108 penalty minutes, <laughs> right? In 41 games, you know. Scott Parker didn't uh, isn't playing, but he had five points in 69 games and 155 penalty minutes. Like, obviously, those guys those guys are there for a reason, you know. They're they're there for that, and that's how they built bottom bottom sixes back then. That's how they built the fourth line. You wanted thumpers, you wanted the big heavy bodies to go out there and just lay the wood, but they just did not have any offensive firepower from any of those guys. Yeah. And absolutely desperately missed Forsberg. I mean, there's the whole story around Forsberg trying to come back for this series with an exploded spleen, but yeah, then abs managed without him uh, based off of Herculean performances from a handful of players, basically. Yeah. I mean, they had some guys that stepped up big time in the postseason. I mean, Dan Heino finished the postseason with six points. Like, yeah, <laughs> almost on pace for way, way more than his regular season. Right. Like, Billy Neiman had 10 points in 23 games. Like, that's a that's almost a 40 point pace in a regular <laughs> season. And Billy Neiman never came close to having a 40 point season in his career. Yeah. So that's just that's a bit of playoff hockey is you get those unexpected heroes sometimes and yeah. you need to have them to go win a cup as, as this series shows more than anything, as it did go the distance. It's just, it's just very different how teams succeeded, you know, yep. like Chris, Chris Dingman, for example, played, you know, he played 16 playoff games and averaged six minutes a game of, of ice time. Right. He had one job to go out there and beat somebody up, basically. And yeah, the only, you match lines, you put him out against their enforcers, and they go punch each other. It's just, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Well, just the way that it, all the different changes in in the games and and all the things that we've noticed, but certainly the depth and how different it is. Because you just look at that regular, uh, you you look at that regular season roster, and just the the scoring of it, and you just compare it to this year's Abs team. That roster, that entire roster, combined for seven hundred and forty one points in a full season. The Abs roster in seventy games this year combined for six hundred and thirty five points. So you yeah. give them 12 more games, like, and just seeing how much deeper the current abs roster is. Yeah. They had 16 guys. They they finished the regular season. 16 guys had 20 points or more 
uh, and the abs that the, the old one abs only had ten. Yep. And this was uh, talked about quite a bit during this game. When which one of those teams would win? Do the rules matter? Because you get the Avs depth, you get someone especially on the smaller side, take a Tyson Jost, and he has to go take a shift against Chris Dingman, and he just blows him up. What happens then? Right, Chris Dingman could barely skate. Like, he just walks that guy. Yep. You know, like, the speed and skill of depth in, in and this is not just on this Avs team, but just across the NHL, the way that, you know, you still are looking for situational guys. You know, you're still looking for the Belmars and the Nietos and the Calverts, those kinds of guys. But the skill level between a guy like Kamenev yeah. and a guy like Chris Dingman or even a Dave Reed, you know, and Dave Reed played forever. Like Dave Reed had nearly a thousand games in his, in his career and had a couple of good seasons once upon a time. But at that point in his career on that Colorado to like 10 points in 73 games, Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's it's interesting to see that the way that the way that you have to succeed current day, you have to build a, a bottom six that can actually play. It has to be able to compete. So what you changed? Know, they're, they're bottom six guys. Like you're not expecting right. these guys to produce every every four games or whatever. You know, like you're not. You're not expecting them to 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 give you consistent offense, but when you do get it, you should win those games. So, what changed? Is it the rules? Did teams just wisen up and realize they could win games this way? Um, I think I think both. The just the the lack of importance in fighting, uh, the lack of need for guys who just did that, and and the in, increased desire for skill going one through 12, you know, you need to be able to do, you need to be able to play on some, you need to have some base level of, of, of talent that didn't really exist in the same way back in 2001, you know, where you could have guys that they were literally just one trick ponies, right? Like Chris Kingman seriously couldn't skate. And, you look at you look at that and compare it today. I just think that the way that the way that fighting has lost its importance in the game has changed how rosters get constructed. You no longer have to deal with that. You're no longer going out and acquiring two of these guys to take up roster spots for you to to skate around for you, you know, on a on a regular basis. Like this is it's I do it's, find it, there's a much larger desire for players that can actually do things with the puck. There puck is skills completely changed it. Um, how teams approach it. You've got to be able to do things with the puck and not even just in depth forwards, but on defense, you, you see it on defense yep. more than ever. Well, I mean, you have to have puck skills with the removal of the no two line pass breakouts are nearly a must unless you are truly extremely effective defensively. Yeah, I mean, okay, you're going to take that shot at Cam, and he has eight points in 38 games, though. <laughs> I mean, 
it is what it is. He's also been disappointing with eight points in 38 games. Right. Like, he's been a letdown. Like, there's a reason we're talking about Vlad Kamenev, like, playing himself off the roster and maybe out of the NHL. You know, like, you're you're talking, like, an actual, like, fourth-line guy for, for, uh, for Colorado. Like, Matt Nieto has 21 points, averaging 13 minutes of ice time. Like, it's I think it is a bit interesting though that the attachment hasn't really changed over the years for the fan base. People loved Dan Hino. Now people love players like Matt Calvert, like Pierre yeah. Edward Belmar. So it's just I guess it's just the ultimate evolution of that type of player where the skill set has changed a little bit, but still very much a role player. Yeah, definitely. Like Dan Hino, you know, I loved Dan Hynote the same way everybody loved Dan Hynote. But you're talking about a guy who, in 2001, that was his career year, he had 15 points in 76 games, averaging 10 minutes of ice time. Like, there's just not, there wasn't a lot of skill there, but he worked hard and he he performed in the role that he was asked to. 100%. And that's, the, the role has changed as the game has, as the rules have, and all of that has led to that. You know, it's been, it's been rules. It's been emphasis, you know, how teams are emphasizing going after different guys. You know, it's not, it's not like drastic rule changes have suddenly led to teams being okay with sub six foot defenders. It's that a couple of teams went out there, got a couple of dynamite puck movers and started taking over games. And all of a sudden it's, you know, it's a copycat league, right? Like, and it's just, Boom. You know, it's it's funny. There was a great comparison of this towards what's happening in Hollywood right now. It's way easier to stick to a formula that you know is successful, take a series, make a sequel to it that you know will make money. Way more difficult and way riskier to go out and take a chance on a in new IP, or in the case of the NHL, a completely new type of player, like a, a smaller puck-moving defenseman, or, or like a Johnny Gaudreau, say. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to be the first team to take that chance, because it's unproven. And there are reasons, but for established teams, there aren't. So they'll wait, see what happens, and then they can adjust later. So, it's... I just find it how interesting... So many teams are so averse to that risk, and yet when one team proves it can work, they hop on the bandwagon immediately. Right. It was like, what was it, two years ago? I think they had eight, six guys, eight guys under six feet that were... Yep. Reg- relatively successful players. That that were defenders that were taken in the first round. Like, you just look at how the first round has changed. Scott Parker was a first-round pick. <laughs> Nobody really blinked an eye. Yeah, that says it all right there, doesn't it? Like... They were, they were, they had a role and Scott Parker was arguably among the best in the league at that role back then. You needed that guy. It's just a different world now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and now you're looking at a guy like Sam Gerrard has way more value today than he would have had in 2001 because he just would not have been the same value. You know, a, a smaller defenseman that moves a puck but isn't, like, dynamite offensively. Yeah. But plays, like, solid defense, except he doesn't hit anybody. Like, there just wasn't a need yeah. for it. I mean, 
he wouldn't. I don't know that he would have even made the NHL back then. Right. But uh, now today, he gets a seven-year contract. Well, watch how defense was played. Even over. How many people in this game did we see just get bear hugged in the Stanley Cup Finals? That if right. Sam Gerrard tried that, those dudes would shrug him off, shrug him off in a heartbeat. So, and he'd get called for holding. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And like the, it's just it's it's been really fun for me to go back and like appreciate a different era, and there are parts of it that I miss. Like, I miss I miss the physicality. I don't miss how dangerous it was. Like how these guys these guys are. You you look at the head injuries just in game two alone, and it would like Chris Drury gets his bell rung and. His the casual commentary yeah. of like, yeah. oh, his head bounces off the boards, and you're like, dude, what? That's like concussion spotters are fainting in 2020 when that happens. Right, concussion spotters are are like falling over each other to pull that guy from the gate. Yeah, and there was no mention of it the rest of the night. Yep. So it's you know it's I like that the players are safer today. I do miss the physicality. Yep, I. I think we agree wholeheartedly in in that, and and there's a line, right? You can't have Scott Stevens literally killing people, but oh God. you it also, yeah, literally terrifying. <laughs> like players did not want to go on the ice against that guy, but at the same time, I I do understand where people call the league a little bit soft these days because it's not quite the same. So, yeah. I mean, it definitely is, but is it more fun to sit back and watch a game built around speed and skill instead of just, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, half of the rosters being built around no speed and no skill and just these maniacs going after each other and just trying to just trying to hit each other as hard as they can until it was time for the skill guys to come back out on the ice. Like different tastes, I, I think is really the answer. I don't know that there's a right or wrong. I prefer today but I do miss the physicality. I do miss the intensity of a game. It just, it ramps up because the players do want to hit each other. And they, when, when you do get that kind of an atmosphere in today's game, it's exciting. Yeah. It gets, it gets a little crazy. So both eras, I love dearly and I'm not going to complain about either of them. So Always yeah, nice definitely. to, to I, go back. I'm loving so. watching these games, man. I'm oh, me so too. Excited to get into this series. Yeah, that uh, that's the best part is we're not even close to the halfway mark yet. There's a whole lot more of this to come over the next week and a half or so. And I don't, uh, to be honest, I, anything that happens between uh, games three, I, I don't remember three, four, and five at all. I had vague memories uh, as we were watching this. I remember I heard Bob Corkum's name and I remembered the goal and was like, oh, yep, I remember this now. I don't remember anything from games three and five, three through five. So I am I am flying amped. truly blind. Yeah. Yep. I remember I and and I've never seen six. I know what happens in six, but I've never seen it all the way through. So I'm excited for that um, because, again, I went to Schlitterbahn that day. And back then, that was a really big you deal stupid young child. Look, that was a big, literally, that's the only time I've gone to Schlitterbahn in my whole life. So <laughs> it was a really big deal for us. All right. You'll get a pass this time. If it was game seven, it would have been unforgivable. Oh, that would not have happened. Instead, 
Instead, uh, Tropical Storm Allison hit and it was flooded. So the game got pushed back till 1 a.m. So I already knew what happened when. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. When it aired in Houston at the time because we were the city shut down because it was the, the whole thing had flooded. So, well, at least you got to watch it. Yeah, this is like a fun journey for me personally, just because I, I, you know, crazy circumstances led to me missing parts of the series. So. All right. I'm, I've, I've, this was a great idea. I've, I've enjoyed this and I love how passionate all, all the people who have hung out and watched the games with us have been. It's been awesome. It's been so cool to experience this with abs fans with nothing going on right now. This is awesome. I love this. Yeah, if you have not gotten on the Twitch chat for these games, you got to do it on Monday for Game Three yeah. because it's it's lit. We even got ourselves a, a little bit of intermission intermission entertainment at this point, so um, we're having a Definitely. good time with it for sure. It's it's been really cool, and even when the world returns to normal, this is something we need to continue to do. Absolutely, especially whatever off season we end up having. Um, definitely something I want to keep doing. Um, on that note, also would love to plug the new Twitch account, DNVR underscore sports. Definitely go give that a follow if you haven't yet. It's something we're going to be using a lot during this quarantine time. And even after that, something we want to dive into a lot more regularly tonight, I think 10 PM Brandon, We'll be playing Doom Eternal for the first time on the channel. So if you want to get a glimpse of that, go give it a look, give it a follow. We have a ton of plans going into this for the future. So highly recommend you check that out. Uh, Two of us are going to be playing a lot of Rocket League in the next few weeks. Yep, there will be Rocket League on that channel. There will be NHL, NBA, Madden, you name it. It's all going to go down over there. So looking forward to a good time. Other than that, AJ, any final thoughts here on Game 2? Uh, just thanks to everybody that's that's come out to enjoy all this. Um, you know, we've got a lot of different things, a lot of different ideas over the next few weeks while we're all still kind of going through this quarantine together. Really, uh, really looking forward to both gaming with you and going through these old games. Man, this is I, I, I got very lucky that I, I stumbled into the perfect partner to go through this with. So, Rudo, it's been it's been a blast doing this with you. I'm really I think we're going to have a lot of fun in the next few weeks, despite what's going on around us in the real world. Yeah. I, I mean, same right back at you. So psyched to have the opportunity and that obviously not how it happened. Don't love it. But the way this came together is awesome and cannot wait for 6 p.m. on Monday. So that is when game three will be on same time, same place. We'll be posting about it on Twitter as well as it gets closer. So just keep an eye out. Other than that, thank you for watching. And we have the best hockey sponsors. It's amazing. This is, job is so awesome because after watching that game and seeing players get hit in the face, you know what would have been nice to have? Green Mountain Dental Group. That's right, a dentist. So players back then needed them all the time. And if you need one today, Green Mountain Dental Group is in Lakewood, and they're the best family-owned dentist in the metro area. Plus, they're extreme Colorado sports fans. Who knows? Maybe they'll even join us on one of these live streams. When you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. Be sure to tweet that at us when you get it. And they'll take care of your teeth for you. Toothbrush is free. Everybody wins. 15 minutes from downtown. You cannot lose here. Just remember, cleaning, x-ray, exam, free toothbrush, Green Mountain Dental Group. That's it for us. We will see y'all on Monday.
Hey,